Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. I'm excited to be here. We are going to be changing gears a little bit. We're actually going to start something that's more of a Christmas um, series in a sense, but I think it may only be a couple weeks here. Um, but I want to just tie, tie in some ideas for you because what we end up having, if you want to say, is like we've got Luke, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Both are written by Luke. Um, but in many ways, they, co- they come together because you have the book of Luke starts off and it starts with the birth of Christ. And then it's the ministry and the actions, and it all points towards the cross. And then in many ways, the book of Acts is really just part two of Luke. But it's the Acts, and then the results, and everything else is comes going forward from the cross. And what you begin to see in the book of Acts is how that just this gospel explodes. And it goes through all of the known world, changing lives, changing people. And, we, and it follows in many ways, in particular, the Apostle Paul, because Paul was that apostle who went to the Gentiles, and this was so different and was such a break from what had been as far as the idea and things of Judaism. But all of this message in its entirety, it falls into a context. And and last week we saw one piece of information, and it kind of raised a lot of questions. Because when, when Paul got, and he was giving that defense before the, the crowd, and they were listening. And when he spoke in Hebrew, they, they hushed down, they listened to a point. And there was that point when he said, to, and I was sent to the Gentiles. And it just, it was just outrageous, the response. They would not listen to a single other word. It was riot, chaos. But why was that context? Why was that? All of that, we're going to start back with John, John the Baptist. Uh, And this morning, I'm just going to read a couple of verses before I get into some of our slides as we have, but in speaking of John the Baptist, right after the birth and before Jesus' public ministry, he says this, and this is, I'm reading from Luke, it says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and crooked shall be become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way, but his ministry came into this context, and it was that same context that you saw just really flared up in Acts. This morning what we're going to try and do is draw some of these big picture ideas back together, both some of it from the Old Testament that it feeds into this, Because even those words of John, they were quoting from Isaiah. They were quoting from Isaiah 40. And this was part of that preparation. But yet, there were some Jews who saw it and responded, and others who it was the most abhorrent idea that Jesus was the Messiah. And even to this day, we have Jews who say, that can't be. All of those Christians, they are just mistaken. They are believing a lie. Let's dig into that this morning, but let's pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray. We ask that you would direct our thoughts this morning. As I look into your word, as we together look at your words, your truth, God, open our eyes. 
Help us to see your truth and understand. Because we know that apart from you opening our eyes, we will not see. We will not understand. And we know that there's a large part of how that so many people could see the same truths and then deny it. Like many of these Jews, God, we pray this morning that by your grace and by your mercy, we would not be that. But we would be those who see your word, hear your words, and respond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to try and give you an idea, because as we're going here, I'm going to try and draw a line for us. We're going to start there. Okay, we had Acts over here, and we had this idea. It, but it connects back to some of these Old Testament ideas. And John the Baptist is actually one of the last Old Testament prophets. In so many ways, he was proclaiming this new beginning. That's where we're starting. But we're going to start with this idea where we started off in Acts. Why did these words right here stir up so much emotion? Because these were Paul's words to the Gentiles. And he said to them, and this is, though, this is God's word to him saying, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. But yet this response, it was huge. It's, and this is, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, flinging dust into the air, just absolute response, rebellion, revolt, Even to this point, they had already drug him from the temple, brought him before the Romans. But it absolutely begs this question. Why? Why were they so upset? What was it about this that stirred up so much response? And as we start to answer this question, we start to see why we had so many Jews, some would respond, and others said, no, this cannot be the Messiah. These are important questions as we're coming to Christmas. Because John the Baptist's words was that he would prepare the way, make straight the way of the Lord. And to you, I'm get, this is where we're going to end up over here. Fair game, this is where we're going. Will you respond the way that John the Baptist was calling these Jews to? Or will you fall into some of the same pitfalls that they were starting with? Because for them... This upset their special place. And Pastor Matt had sort of alluded to it last week. He was starting to say the Jews over here, and they were special within the Roman Empire. They were allowed to worship their God, which was unique. All of the other subjugated people were required to to follow into the sort of pantheon of gods, many gods, one of them being that they would worship the empire. This was special. But here's the problem. If you're saying that I'm going to take this message to everyone, they're worried the Romans are going to come and take away these privileges because you're saying this religion is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. It upsets the cultural norm. So, so there's a part there, just pragmatic. They didn't want to lose that position of power. They didn't want to lose that special place and ability. So just pragmatically, that's part of why these words were just so... So upsetting to them. But it was more than that. Because this didn't fit with their idea of the kingdom. When you start looking at Old Testament prophecies, 
there is this idea that, that when the Messiah comes, there will be peace, it'll be an everlasting peace, but it also uses words like there will be a kingdom. It follows back into promises like made to King David where that your seed will sit on the throne of Judah. And then as they see this kingdom, well, it must be of this line of David that is going to be a king. And it's going to be a ruler. And so what they really see here is this earthly king, Jewish kingdom. That's what they expected. So when they saw and thought of the Messiah, this is what they were expecting. And it's not, it's not wrong for them, in a sense, to think that. Because so many of the passages, and we're going to even look at a couple of them, they mix this idea of the coming Messiah right along with judgment, along with a promise of a kingdom, along with an everlasting kingdom and promise. So they were all together even in some of the passages. For example, we already alluded in Luke 3, that quotes Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, as it carries on, goes on to talk about an everlasting peace and in terms of earthly things, was not fulfilled as Jesus was here walking on the earth. So it raises some questions, but this is what more of what their expectation was. That it was going to be a ruler come. This is actually a drawing of Judah Maccabee. He was the one who had led the revolt and rebellion of the Maccabean revolt. It was in the year 167 to 160. B.C., so before Christ. So this took place before Jesus came. But this is a type of thing where, in his case, he, he threw off the Greek rule, would have been the solutions at that point, and they had, they had independence in this small little area for seven years. When they saw Messiah, thought Messiah, it was like this. They saw it as someone who was going to come and reestablish the kingdom, and this kingdom would last for a thousand years. This was their expectation. But notice, like this was 167, so that would have been quite a while before the events we have today, or in this passage in Acts, it'd be about 200 years. But this thirst for independence and thirst for that had not gone away. We see that in the fact that we went from Greeks now when Jesus was there, it was the Romans. While Paul was there, it was the Romans. In AD 70, that was when they revolted again. And there, it was to the point where they completely destroyed the temple and they took away then at that point all of these things. This was the culture. This was the expectation then that John the Baptist came into and said, hear that this one is coming. This was the culture in which Jesus then ministered. This was the culture in which then Jesus came and died on the cross. That was the expectation. So as we get into this here, even in Jesus' words though, he did not come to destroy the law, but rather to fulfill it. He says this, and this is at the end of Luke, just before then switching over into Acts, he says this, Then he said to them, that is his disciples there, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He goes on to explain then, that then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the, and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his, in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
he's saying, I didn't come to destroy any of that, but rather to fulfill it. But he's fulfilling it in a way that doesn't match up with their expectation. Here, this is Luke, and this is talking about Jesus where he, during his ministry, was rejected. He goes back to Nazareth, and this would have been his, his hometown. So this is back into Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now this is all just him reading from Isaiah. And this is specifically Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And his words right after this, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendants and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So at this point, he has taken then prophecy from Isaiah, Specifically, this one was Isaiah chapter 61. But even here, he stops part way. He only reads two or three verses. The rest of this passage goes on to talk again about a coming peace. It talks about building up the foundations. About, but yet, and this was a new idea. But yet, even here, and he said, to, and he said this is just a, a verse later, Truly I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And when they had heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill where the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. There were some among the Jews that vehemently rejected Jesus. So when we talk about Christmas, we talk about the coming Messiah, and we celebrate that as Christians especially. This was the culture in which this message was delivered to. But I, I don't want it to seem as though all rejected him. We realize at Pentecost, thousands turned to Christ and said, this is the way. There were those from all walks of life, from among the priests, from among the general people, but also from them, those who were not Jews, the Gentiles. All these followed up but yet there were some who truly rejected this. But yet the Jews didn't, even, uh, didn't understand even though one was sent to prepare the way. This one who was sent to prepare the way was John the Baptist. We talk about the Christmas story. Sometimes when we start it, we actually start back to some of these prophecies about John coming. Because he was born only a few months before Jesus. They were actually cousins. But yet John was the one who came then to say to these people in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He also says, make, way, make straight the way of the Lord. He baptizes them into repentance. He says, in so many ways, he just says, listen and repent. There is another one coming. Listen to him. Now, this is even prophesied to the fact of John being this messenger. This is in Malachi 3 and verse 1. 
Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is actually a prophecy, then one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and, and prophesying that there is a messenger that will come and announce the Messiah, and that is John the Baptist. Even this, though, goes on to talk about other things that are yet still future for us. It's because this talks about judgment. In this, just verse 2, it says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? These are words talking about the second coming of Christ and the judgment that is still yet future even for us. For he is like a refiner's fire and the fuller's scout. So, brother, and he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and you will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Bringers of an offering in righteousness. This is prophesied then for Jesus' coming. And this is the messenger who's saying this again and again. Listen, repent. And before I turn into Luke here again, I'm going to start with that same question to you that I started with that's we began. It's been ringing in my head because I start to see some parallels here. I see then a people who were conflicted and they had a choice. We are a people with a choice. This, this Christmas, how is it that you will respond to that? Because Christmas in so many ways, these, there's so much more to it than just the story of Christ. As you look around, there's decorations to be done, there's meals to be prepared, there's family time, there's my long list of gifts that I need to get, there's then, well, what am I going to be doing in my community? What, like, there's so much that is Christmas time. It has become one of the top shopping times of the year, even starting at Thanksgiving and then leading up to it. It's the type of thing, there are so many possible distractions, so many different ideas of what Christmas should look like to us. I want us to harken back to some of this. And I am going to pick this up here in Luke. So this is chapter 1, and this is talking then before John had come. And it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah. And this is then John's father, John the Baptist's father, of the division of Abijai. So he was a priest. In this division, there was 24 of them. Um, he was actually an old man at this point. He, and he may not have served any other time in the, in the temple, it's possible. Because realize that all of the tribe of Levi were priests. They were divided into 24 sections. There's only 52 weeks in a year. So there's only then two weeks out of the year that your whole um, division would even be serving in the temple. You realize then that the division could have many family members at this point. He's an old man. But he is there to serve in this capacity. And, and picking up again in the, second, in the third line. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments, statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, stand on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be, a, be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The reference there to not, it's actually of a Nazarene um, uh, vow, rather, uh, that he had given. And so that's also why, then as we hear descriptions later on of John, it harkens back to this right from birth, that he had it set it aside this way. Never 16. And he would turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children and to the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This is what then to his father is saying, this is your son who is coming. And at this point, this may have been one of the first times, even as an old man, he had been chosen to serve there and he has this vision. In verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. So he has this vision. Then he can't say anything about it and won't until the birth of John. But yet this was then given, that picture of this is what your son will do. You'll have the opportunity to go then and turn the hearts of many. And we actually see that John had an impact. It was to the point when he was then in the wilderness later on, just before Jesus' earthly ministry, that the Pharisees sent out to the, who are you? And some of the questions they asked, are you the Christ? No, I am not. Are you a prophet? No, I am not. Are you the Messiah? No. I am the one, the voice, crying in the wilderness. And he quotes back to Isaiah 40 to them. As we carry on a little bit further, and this is just then taking a story just outside of the temple, in verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and, re and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. So you see here, then it's taking place. Coming on. Now, I'm actually going to skip forward in Luke 1 because this morning I want to talk about John and not just that, it's preparing the way. And it says in verse 57, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And this is John. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, 
none of your relatives is called by that name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted, wanted him to be called. And they asked for a tablet writing, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke blessings of God. So it had been then months at this point. No words. But this is, and fear came upon all their neighbors, and all the things were talked about throughout the hills of the Jews country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was on him. This is then the prophecy that Zechariah gives. So like he hadn't said a word since that vision, and then he comes here, and, the, and his father Zechariah was fulfilled in the Holy Spirit, and the prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and re- redeemed his people. And he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This prophecy then here, that that reference of a horn of salvation is harkens back to the Davidic covenant. And I mentioned that just briefly, that what that covenant was is simply saying that someone from in the line of David will sit upon the throne and he will rule and reign this kingdom. And then you say, well, how does that be? Because... They're a conquered people at this point. They have been for generations and generations and generations. I know you may not love history in the same way I do. I won't bore you with all the details, because I really do love it. But I love the fact that you see a story of a people. Because here, to this point, um, there had been a king that actually was the last king of Judah. um, And his name was um, Isaiah, I think it was. Anyway, he had then been carried off captive. He would not heed the words of Jeremiah, that, that prophet there. He would not heed them. He would, and he's carried off captive. In that point, it would have been by the Babylonians. The Babylonians were then conquered by the uh, uh, sorry, Medes and the Persians, and the Medes and the Persians were conquered by the Greeks. And that was when there was that rebellion. Remember I mentioned Judah, Maccabean? They, they were still seeking for this to seek to then have someone of this tribe come. And then it comes forward into the the, the Romans. Even though they are a special people, they have some liberty, it is still not what they longed for. What they truly longed for was that same promise that we even saw started in the book of Genesis, where it says when when they fall, there there will be one come and whose heel will crush the serpent's head and bruise his heel. That's even the beginning of this promise that we're looking for. So it was generation after generation after generation. Will it come? This is he. This is the beginning of it here. This is the beginning of that story. And as we think about Christmas, this is the beginning of that celebration. When you realize that even the messenger that was to come simply to say, listen, had this prophecy about him. Even that is hearkens to this and saying, hear, repent. Comes on and he says, and as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This again, this now is actually a reference there of the holy covenant to the new covenant that was prophesied in Jeremiah. Um, and it's what's different here about that covenant. It talks about in Jeremiah chapter 31, 
It'll be written on their hearts. This is a new covenant. It'll be written on your hearts. And in that covenant is that I will bring peace to you. But they had it tied up in their mind over here that it, what that peace would look like was of this earthly kingdom. That that's what that peace was. But they missed the part that this covenant that is being promised will be written on your hearts. You and I, even though we don't have the same lineage of looking back to being a Jew and looking back to having our forefathers for generation after generation looking at the promise, we get to have a part in this. We get to have a part in this new covenant that he is saying, prepare for. And it's that same covenant that is written on our hearts of love, of peace, of salvation that is not our own, but that is bought with the one he is prophesying to come. He goes on here and says, and the oath which that he swore to our fathers Abraham to grant us. And there, that's actually a reference again to the Abrahamic covenant. Even in just this, as prophesying again and again for John the Baptist, not even for Jesus, but just simply the one to say to prepare the way it harkens back to all these things that are looking to be fulfilled. And in verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This is John, called a prophet. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I want us to just think on this for a minute. Think on that message that was prepared. And what gets hard about this is there are so many strings that I could go back to. And as I was trying to prepare this morning, I spent time in Isaiah 40 and then 53. And then there's so many prophecies that start pointing towards this moment in history. Coming of Jesus. The promised one. And for us, that has so many ramifications. It has this idea that we get to buy into this rich history, we, uh, the picture is often used of grafted in. So I then come back to that same idea, though, of that message that John said. Prepare the way. Listen and repent. My challenge to you this morning as we... I, I know there's been many, many things we're starting to talk to here. But come back to that message. And will we then listen to that? Will we listen to that same message that John the Baptist had when he said, prepare your way to hear this one who is coming. I, I am not the voice. I am simply the one pointing you to him. This morning, as we think about it, this is Christmas time. We're looking forward to so much. But in that same way, there are so many things that have the possibility to distract us away from Jesus. Away from a time to remember all of that we have given We've been given a wonderful heritage as a Christian to follow into. But it's the fact that Jesus is our Savior. All these things. This morning, 
I, I don't want you to fall into that same trap as when, when those Jews sat there and heard those words. Like they, they were listening along to Paul in, that, in Acts 22. Again and again and again, until they get to that one idea that was so, no, I can't listen to the, the fact that it went to the Gentiles. But that was, bo- that was born out of this culture that they were in. It was this mindset that this is how that promised Messiah must look. The parallel for us, though, often is we get this idea and picture of what Christmas should look like. I'm guilty of it. I, I love Christmas music. I love Christmas decorations. I, it just makes me happy and smile. I know for some people, like Chris, the first Christmas music comes on after Thanksgiving. Oh, is it over yet? You know, you've seen the memes. Prepare for this. I am very much on the opposite side of that spectrum. I'm, and then they shut it off on me, and I'm like, what am I, working with a bunch of Grinches or what? <laughs> but there's so much more that we had the possibility of distracting us during this time of year. There's just so much that it pulls in that could be a distraction for us. And without even intending on it, we can then be responding sort of in the same way as these Jews over here because they were crying, what in the world? Over a small detail because they misunderstood it and they were making the wrong things important. But you better believe it was significant to them. You saw the response they had. You and I, then my challenge to you this morning is what is significant about this time of year? It is Jesus. What is significant? It, it, is it the music? No. Is it the decorations? No. Is it the fa- family meal? No. Even though I must say I'm absolutely thrilled over the moon to get to go to Canada um, later on in this month. But yet, what do we have to rejoice? We have so much. And I'm not going to spend all of our time then going on into what that is because I'm going to leave room for that for next week to spend of what is then Christmas and that significance. But I want to simply challenge you as you're heading into these final weeks before Christmas and of the so many things that can distract and feel like the most important thing in the world, this list, this to-do list, that thing that I have to get done, don't allow those things to crowd out that question and appreciation of that this is a time when Jesus came down and took on human form. And he didn't do it the way they expected him to. They did it in line with Isaiah 53, where it said that he was a suffering Savior. He did it in line with, I will bring peace, but in so many ways the peace he has brought is that rift between sin and repentance. This morning, remind us of that. And even in a moment, as we remind the sacrifice, we're we're talking about Christmas now, the beginning, we also know where this ministry headed. So I'm going to pause for a moment at this point, and I'm going to turn it over to Matt, because we're going to then have the Lord's table.